the audio quality of this show isn't quite as good as our normal shows because it was recorded on my Mac's internal mic rather than our special high quality mics. This was due to a misconfiguration error on my part. Apologies for that. Welcome to episode 238 of Texting, hosted by myself, Justin Vincent, and Jason Roberts. And today's episode is coming to you from Addy and Matt's house in Chicago and from Jason's house in Pasadena. Hey, Jason, how are you doing? Doing great. How about yourself? Well, I'm uh, <laughs> not 100% better, but uh, getting there. So you're up in San Francisco, I mean, Chicago for two weeks, is that right? Yeah, uh, one week. We've, I've been here for one week so far. And that's working with Digidoo. How's that going? Yeah, great. Um, actually we had a great excursion yesterday. Um, the COO owns a really nice, uh, powerboat. We went on Lake Michigan, had a picnic. It was really nice. Yeah. Yeah. I bet. Well, uh, Chicago in the summertime is really nice. I mean, well, it's, it's humid, but there's so much energy because everybody's cooped up so many months of the year. Yeah. It doesn't, it doesn't seem humid right now. (laughs) Oh really? That's nice. Well, that's great. Especially nice. Yeah. Right, and you got there. Are you are you spend much time on Lake Michigan, other than the, than the boating. Well, we we, we were. I, I think it it turned out that we were on the on the lake for eight hours yesterday. Wow! I don't know where the time went, but it was just just really nice and relaxing. Really nice day. Yeah, that's cool. Yeah. So what's so what's new? Um, you know what? Just working hard. <laughs> what about you? Well, I, <laughs> you, I, I you have a lot of stuff to talk about. Uh, well, first of all, I, I you know because. This two week visit, or two week, uh, I don't know what you call it, work, uh, work trip. Yeah. We, we, you and I had a lot of talk about it offline because I was saying that's kind of be a long time <laughs> to be away. I mean, how, how is it working out? Well, I think it's pretty good because um, it, it's nice uh, being able to just, fo- you know, go into the office, uh, meet all the people. I mean, there's about, there's about 20 people in the office now, or I don't know, it's 15 to 20 or something like that. Mm-hmm. So there's uh, curricular reviewers and, editors and um the rest of the team so it's it's nice to kind of be in the office and be part of that that vibe but then also um i don't know i mean it doesn't feel like a long time because i'm just doing stuff that needs to be done you know yeah so for people who don't who don't know i mean digidoo is based out of chicago you live in pasadena and you've mentioned at least offline a number of times that you felt a little um uh sort of out of the loop at times just being away from everybody right a little bit like a satellite exactly Right. And uh, do you, you, you feel like being there, it's made a difference? Yeah, definitely. It's, it's, nice, it's nice to be around people, you know, and it's nice to, um, it's also nice to just to get to really focus. The only, the only problem is, is that um, maybe a couple of other things uh, get, get let go, you know, just like, I don't know, maybe paying attention to updating my bank account details or something like that. Like when you're, when I'm in an environment like this, I just really get really focused on the one task. So then other tasks kind of, maybe go to the wayside yeah that's true whenever i go up to san francisco to work with uber i everything that, that i do other than uber kind of gets ignored yeah <laughs> so, exactly you know i i don't reply to some emails very quickly or you know it's just hard to keep up with everything so that um, will be the issue with with a two-week long trip so that's that's kind of something against it but something that's for it is um it's you know get a lot of work done it's very focused i mean do you feel like you need to do Two weeks consistently, or is this something you'll just do every once in a while? Because two weeks to me, I think every like, once in a while. I think every I mean, once in a while. Yeah, because two weeks to me sounds like that would be turned into a grind 
mind really quickly. And I, I was a part of a startup hit, quantitative hedge fund back in 2000, between 2000, what, 2000 and 2001, 2002 kind of time frame. And it got to the point, I think there was about an eight-month period or maybe a 10-month period where I would, I would be in Chicago for 11 days and back home in Pasadena for three days. And I did, and over and over without a break. Eleven three, huh? Eleven three, and and uh, I, eventually I just I couldn't do it. I just completely burned out, and that's what I was warning you about. Uh, you know, is that it's just you know it's hard to it's hard to maintain that kind of thing. Now I go up and see, you know, work with Uber for three days out of a uh, yeah about three days once a month, which obviously it, which is okay with Uber because you know it's a big company now and a lot of people. It doesn't like all depend on me or something like when you're a startup though it's a little different. Well, the one issue with going for two weeks is because I stay with Matt and Addy in their house. Mm-hmm. You know, two weeks is kind of a long time. You begin to feel like you're imposing. Well, you are. <laughs> I mean, <laughs> I mean you, you know. Of course, I mean, they say they don't mind, but uh, I'm, I'm not entirely yeah. sure. <laughs> well, you know, I mean, you know, it's, it's like those things that, especially if they're inviting you and you're part of a, you know, a project that, that, he wants to move forward and that you're an integral part of, obviously he's, he's going to, um, you know, he's going to have, um, more patience with it, you know, than if you were just visiting a, a friend that, right, yeah. staying that long. But, um, yeah, because it just gets exhausting. You know, after a while you just, you're not in your own place, right? You're in other people's space, you know, just gets, so anyway, we're interesting to see how that, how that, um, works out over the next, uh, you know, six months. Yeah, so so you wanted to do the show because um, you just you've just been itching to talk about a whole bunch of stuff. So, well, it's uh, not not unless I have anything in particular. I mean, I just so I accumulate, you know, I read articles or think about things, and they and, they, and uh, you know, I look forward to talking about them on the show. And and I and my list gets longer and longer now that we have these two week once a show every two weeks. It you know, yeah, kind of build up, you know, a backlog, and. Uh, so I, I don't like it to go for three weeks. Otherwise, it's just there's just things that we'll never get to talk about. Okay. So, um, well, first thing I want to I think we should talk a little bit about is Sebastian's visit. Oh yeah. So Sebastian um, Arno, is, is, is he pronounced it Arno? Uh, yes. Right. So, uh, well, I think I think Sebastian Arno. I think, but I could be wrong. Right. So Sebastian is obviously <laughs> French. <laughs> yeah. And uh, you met Sebastian via Twitter. Because he he was interested in what you were doing with um, Swarm, right? I think he listened to the show. That's right. Yeah, yeah. And then he he ended up. Uh, well, I ended up working with Sebastian. He built a, a great uh, AI for Swarm, so to make Swarm playable against the computer. Right, and then um, and you guys also were working on Skyboard, one of your a side project that you pursued for. A we little- did some work on that. Yeah. yeah, yeah. So this is the first time you've ever met him in person. Yeah, and he was he's different to what I expected. He's he. He kind of reminded me a little bit of Patrick McKenzie in, in a kind of just a form factor <laughs> of really? a human. Um, but uh, yeah, no, he was, uh, it, was, it was really nice to really nice to hang out with him and the girls. Well, what did you, what did you picture? Um, I had pictured him as being like a short Frenchman and maybe a bit squat. <laughs> really? <laughs> short, short, even... I had a picture, I picture him of being a short, squat Frenchman, but he was actually the exact opposite. He was a really tall kind of um, skinny Frenchman. Yeah. Well, I mean, you've seen his picture. He doesn't have a. It's not like he has a plump face. No, but his his the, the, his picture doesn't really look like him. 
Really? Like, I yeah, thought he, looked, he looked at, he ended up looking exactly how I anticipated. His oh, face. really? Oh, okay. His face is, you know, he, I don't know. He looked, <laughs> he looked like a thin guy and he turned to be a thin guy. Yeah. Anyway. So, well, so what happened was, is they, um, they were in town in Southern California. Their daughter had a big uh, dance competition that she was part of. And so Irish dancing. Right. And so then we all just met at uh, a park in South Pasadena because they brought their, you know, their, their daughter and their son, who's like two or three. And we all just hung out there for like two hours. That was really cool. Oh, it was a lot of fun. Um, yeah. Um, so let's see. We, and we've had, oh, and we also had, Sebastian was on two different episodes of the podcast, right? What was the, the big thing that we were talking about was, um, oh, we spoke a bit about frameworks. <laughs> oh, well, this was a talk that you and I had had initially when you were starting to work on... Um, oh, Digidoo, yeah. So or, like, you were starting to work on it very seriously, and you were bringing uh, Udi in to work on it with you. Mm-hmm. And, the, and, the, and the big question you had, what you were wrestling with, is should you use Double Dollar, your framework, because you know it inside out, you can you can add things or tweak it if you need to, um, you can move really quickly in it, or should you use a, a a popular open source framework that will have documentation and everything with this you know so that Ubi Udi will feel more comfortable working with it? Mm. With the side effect being though, of course, you don't know it that well, and if it doesn't do things as well as you'd like them, as you'd like it to work, or you just kind of you're, you're kind of screwed. And yeah, so that exactly. was a big trade off. And the advice I gave you at the time, which I think you know was what you ended up deciding to yourself, which was. Um, just go with your own framework for the first, you know, couple of versions. It's more important just to get something up and out there, and that that works, and to do it quickly. Because, you know, a lot of times you spend all this time trying to pick the perfect framework and pick the perfect database, pick it, and you don't get anything that that works. Or even if you get something well, that works, no one cares about it. Sebastian's a great person to talk to about it because in his company that he's worked at for ten years, he was like, you know, one of the first people there. Um, and uh, now it's a big company that has like a hundred people. And one of the things that he'd done is he'd worked with his own frameworks at that early time, which enabled him to get a lot of stuff out there. But then as time com- goes on, once you've got like 10 engineers, you don't really want to be the one response, you know, the, bo- the bottleneck, as it were, for that. So then they started shifting and migrating the code base over to popular frameworks. So it's really just about once you have a lot of people working on a product, it's much harder if it's your own framework. Absolutely. Just, well, then, yeah. then because you become the the answer guy, right? It all rests yeah, yeah. on you, and if it doesn't do stuff, or if it's not documented, and nobody knows how to do anything, then you have to answer every question, like you said. And and um, yeah, and that's what I was thinking too with Digidoo. I mean, it's like you know, you can once you really understand the product, and you've been through a couple of early versions, then you can you know use Ember or jQuery Mobile or whatever the hell framework is the best fit for what you're doing. You know? Yeah. And and then yeah. of course you know I mean you you know even you know, Udi may have been slightly less excited about working with Double Dollar than he might have been with working with some other framework. But once you guys have gone through a couple of versions and he t- understands the, the app inside out, you can always say, look, just go ahead and start building parallel version and, you know, whatever framework you think is best. And then we'll compare apples to apples and see. Well, how I mean, he's work. really getting it, you know, and uh, I went through it with um, so the other, our, our new hire, Jeremy, Jeremy Logan, um, going through with with him through Double Dollar. I mean, he. He just completely got it. I mean, yeah, yeah, that makes sense. Wait, that makes sense. Wait, so Jeremy Logan was a listener? Jeremy Logan was a listener. Or is he, a listener? It, or? <laughs> it, well, yeah, is a listener and is now a full-time digital employee. Yeah. Well, tell, tell me about that. How'd that come together? Well, I mean, uh, <laughs> I'd like to turn it into this really interesting and elaborate story, but it's, it's, it's nothing more than saying, look, 
you know, on the show, we, we really need some people to work with us. And uh, that, I think that I'd said that like a, the show was about two weeks to a month old and he just pinged me an email and said, is that, you know, is, is that offer still open? That's all his email said. Mm-hmm. And then I Googled him and found his LinkedIn page and saw, oh, wow, Nginx, uh, jQuery, uh, you know, AWS, like everything that I was looking for. And so then I kind of pursued and said, yeah, yeah, it's, it's open. I'm really interested. And we ended up talking to each other. And then we ended up meeting in Chicago. And um, yeah, it all worked out. So it's good. And where does he live? He lives like Alabama or Florida or something? Yeah, that's right, Alabama. Wow. And so he just, so you guys are all completely remote now. So Udi's in Israel. Israel. <laughs> <laughs> You're in Pasadena yeah. and, 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 and Jeremy's in Alabama. Now we just spent three days together. So, uh, well, Udi wasn't here, but Jeremy was. And that was great. So Jeremy was in the office, uh, and myself uh, was there as well. So, uh, yeah, yeah, it's really it's really coming together well. And um, in the next uh, semester, we're I think we're going out to fifty schools. So wow. um, it's going to be yeah, it's it's scaling. Now it's you scaling. had a list of like twenty things that you showed me that would have to be done to the app before you before you felt like it was going to be truly robust, like you wanted it to be. And before, you know, and obviously that's probably more of a wish list than a reality because right. you just, you know, you have to actually add in features in addition to building in sort of scalability and robustness. But so how, how have you been able to work through that stuff? Yeah. And I don't want to get too much into the technical detail of it, but um, just. Yeah, the reason is because it's a proprietary, you're, you're worried about exactly, uh, competitors yeah. listening to the show. So, um, you know, you want to know how it's just basically having a list of things and just working on them one by one. Oh, no, uh, well, <laughs> that I know sounds the, like a trite answer, but that's exactly it. It is a trite answer, but uh, the, the question is like, uh, what I want to ask you is how, how far through the list have you gotten? Um, there's about, I think there's about 30 things to do in the next 45 days between uh-huh. the three of us. And that's like 30 big pieces of three day work kind of thing, three to 10 day work. Right. Uh, the three of us have to do and you know i think we're we're maybe a little behind um because some of them you kind of get into like we, we did a database restructure and we were expecting that to not take too long like so we had um with 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 our lesson creator um every page is basically stored as json in the database so every page has paragraphs and paragraphs are you know items and they have an item id and so every page is stored in json but we wanted to um abstract that from the from the hierarchy so it was kind of embedded into the hierarchy okay and um abstracting it from the hierarchy was a bigger deal than i had expected i just thought it was going to be pretty quick but there was a lot of uh getters and setters around the framework that kind of accessed that that json and did different things with it in different ways and scripts that processed it so it was just a bit more a bit more work than i expected so things like that you know yeah, but I mean, I, I mean, I was talking specifically about the the stability stuff. Like how well, that, how much that's of part your time? Of stability. So you're actually you are able to focus almost purely on the stability issues as opposed to adding in features. Well, I am. Ad- I mean, right now I'm adding a feature of annota- annotating so that you can you know highlight any page, and you can add notes to any paragraph. But at the same time, I'm kind of spending. I guess I'm spending like fifty percent of my time on stability and fifty percent on annotations. But um, Jeremy and Udi are also working on some of the stability stuff as well. Yeah, so, so, so what, what, if you said overall for your development resources, what percentage are stability versus features? Well, one thing that we're doing is we're moving from Rackspace to Amazon. And the reason is, is because Amazon has 
just has gone down. I mean, it's gone down like twice in the past three months. And it, it went down in all regions. And the problem was is, uh, you know, we have the kids in school using the system. Mm-hmm. Amazon goes down and they can't learn anything. Sorry, sorry, Rackspace goes down and they right. can't learn anything. So um, Jeremy, who's been, who's been running uh, different websites, you know, very high scaled websites on Amazon for years, says he's, because, you know, via, using the availability zones and the different zones, he's never had any downtime through Amazon. Certain zones have gone down, but with the right architecture, his system's never had any downtime. So um, you wouldn't you wouldn't need to split it between Amazon and some other product. You could do, Amazon is already split, so that exactly. if Amazon goes down, you can fail over. Exactly, and 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 kind of, it's kind of like there's aspects of Amazon that already have that built into it in in more in more of a way than um, Rackspace does. And the thing is, like the last the last time Rackspace went down, they went down for about four hours in the middle of the day. And every single every single zone went down, so huh, you know how good's that? No, it's not good at all. <laughs> yeah. So, and and, that, and, th- and this is one of Jeremy's specialties, right? So that's one exactly, of the, yeah. how he's able to bring a lot of value to the mm-hmm. organization. Cool. Mm-hmm. Well, that's cool. but it's a big deal because we already have about you know fifteen servers doing different things. So right. you know, migrating fifteen servers from one environment to another environment is like that takes a long time and. You know, it's kind of scary too. <laughs> right. So, um, but anyway, that's that's for example one thing towards stability. There's there's a, there's a lot of things to do. Cool. A lot of things. Yeah. Anyway, I hope that's interesting. Well, I yeah, you know, I just think we get we get the Digio update. Oh, oh, let's get a Plugio update. Uh, so Plugio, um, basically, I the flipper the flipper thing uh, went came and went. So you tried and- it. You put it on. You you decided you want to try and sell. Plugio, and you tried putting on Flippa for what, a hundred thousand or something? Yeah, and uh, and there was, you know, there was some pretty serious conversations, but in the end, no one got it, mm-hmm. no one took it. Um, but then Rob Walling very kindly put me in touch with a broker in the UK, <coughs> and um, actually, I haven't had time to sign the docs to give them the exclusivity to sell it. But basically, this broker in the UK, he says, um, he well, first of all, Rob Walling speaks very highly of him and says that he he regularly shifts these kind of these kind of products. And um, so I spoke. I spoke to the broker. I can't remember his name at this at this moment. And um, he gave me a quote that basically I think the Plugio could sell for a maximum of around. It, it's very specific. It's kind of like seventy three thousand um, based on the revenue. Like it's really specific to the revenue. Um, he he brokers around ten deals a month. So wow. you know he he sells a lot of these kind of things. And um, he has a list of uh, kind of twenty. 20 buyers who, you know, regularly buy this stuff. And then um, another list of maybe a hundred people who, you know, maybe, maybe once every six months. And then another list of 2000 who, you know, maybe once a year kind of thing. So, um, he really, he really shifts things. Well, well, that will be cool. So what were your, yeah. what was your thinking? Um, and you and I talked about it offline, but I thought it might be interesting to talk about it for just a minute here, you're, but you're thinking about why you wanted to sell it. Well, I mean, they take fifteen percent of the sale, so with a seventy-three thousand, I'm going to get what sixty-five thousand to walk away, which is basically what I would make in two years of of running the product. Um, but I'm thinking, you know, maybe a bird in the hand is probably worth two in the bush in this scenario. But the other thing is, like, just the general support burden, you know, having to do half an hour or an hour or whatever every day. It's just kind of a pain, and I I don't really want to do it. Like, I want to move on. I, I'm, I'm focused on Digidoo. I don't really want to have to do the work with Plugio, but when you have customers screaming screaming at you and, you know, the 
for things like payment issues and things like that, it's kind of annoying. And I would do, um, I would outsource to, uh, to someone, but, uh, you know, the, a lot of them are kind of finicky where you have to kind of go into the database and tweak things. And I haven't built out the admin features to make that really, really super easy. But if I handed it off to someone, they would, they would do that and it would be very easy for them to set it up and, you know, work with their existing developers. Like the, the, the kind of person I would sell it to would be very familiar with the space and know how to do that. Right. Right. Oh, that'll be interesting to see how that works out. Hopefully, get some get some cash. Do you think that's a good strategy? I mean, or do you think I should just hold on to it and just let it be a cash cow? You know, I I I think it's really um, it comes down to just your own um, what you want to do. I mean, it's like how painful is the time that you have to spend on it? For one, I mean, it's like if if it's if it's kind of a pain in the butt then yeah, you might want to sell it. If it doesn't bother you at all, then, you know, then maybe you would make more money over the next four or five years with it. Now, now the question is, you know, you know, you, you know, will the, will the revenue go down or stay even? Cause it could go down, you know, if it's not really going up, you know, and you're not going to invest a lot. Of, and if you, you're, you don't have a realistic strategy and a realistic, um, allocation of resources to, 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 to invest in marketing it, then it probably will go down at some, start going down. And well, the one thing that I would say is I've noticed an interesting trend, which is a lot of, there was a lot of kind of Twitter productivity tools around the Plugio level. Um, I can't remember the names off the top of my head, but I've definitely, you know, customers have sent me their names that have just shut down. Mm-hmm. So they're, they're just, they're, I guess they've been squeezed out of the market in their opinion. Um, about, you know, by Twitter's terms of service and all that kind of thing. Right. But I, I don't feel like Plugio is being squeezed out in, those, in that kind of a way. And it's still a very useful tool for people who need it for what it does. So I think that in some senses, I've seen customers come over from those other products. Yeah, so I'm just uh, thinking that um, it could be a good time for Plugio because a lot of those, lot of those smaller ones have closed down. Right. Um, so I think that there's a, you know, there's a time where Plugio could start taking on and new people. And the other thing I've like, I've always said it's like a band. Like if a band keeps playing for 10 years, eventually just by sheer, you know, just stick, uh-huh. stick to itiveness, uh-huh. <laughs> they make it right. <laughs> like, because people, because, because this, the luck surface area just increases, even if a lot of, uh, you know, there's a lot of, uh, not too many people in one go, but over a 10 year period, you get with. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah. That makes sense. Yeah. Um, well, it'll be interesting to see how that works out. Hopefully, uh, hopefully you'll get some cash, and then you just focus on digital. Yeah, I'll see what happens. So, um, what about you? What's going on? What 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 links you got for us? Well, I yeah, first I want to give us update. I guess to, yeah, let's just talk about um, projects or whatever. So, I want to talk about Catalyst for a minute. So, um, I'm not doing Catalyst this summer because well, one, we don't have access to the uh, the space, so you know. Um, I was renting a room at the uh, church on the corner. They have, you know, they normally rent out rooms to groups. Um, at I a thought you were doing mini catalyst. Yeah, yeah. So that's what it is. So it's like a mini catalyst, but it's it, what a mini catalyst is like two kids, three kids. So <laughs> you know, if if everybody makes it, it'll be four of them, including Colby. Yeah. Um, which is easy, and 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 so far for the first three weeks, it's only been um, two. So it's just. Um, uh, Liam and Marco and Colby and, uh, Liam's dad, um, Chris, who's the, uh, astrophysicist who, uh, helps out cause he can, he, you know, 
as an astrophysicist, he writes a lot of Python code. <laughs> and so uh, having him along, it's really easy. And uh, it's actually worked out pretty well. You know, I mean, it's, it's, we, we, we shifted it to Friday. Um, and it's actually a lot longer. So we do, it's, it's, it's kind of like half play date, half catalyst. Hmm. So they come over, they come over at five, and then for about, I would say, until about seven, they do some combination of programming, Mindstorms, Kerbal Space Program, or Minecraft, <laughs> and uh, and then and then they go down and uh, they go down to the pool and swim and we order pizza and then uh, eat pizza down at the pool and then their parents come pick them up around eight fifteen eight thirty. So you, the last uh, you sent me a text and you were saying about trying to set up a Bluetooth link between two Mindstorm robots. Oh, I didn't send you a link. I actually tweeted it. Cool. That sounds. That, so tell me, tell us about that. Yeah. So, um, well, that was something that. Oh, I guess Marco found a program online where, or, or it was like a. I think it was called like NX. What was it? NXTprograms.com, and it was instructions on how to build a master and a slave ro- uh, robot that used Bluetooth to communicate. And so nice. the, the, the master robot actually wasn't a robot. It was that you were using the, um, the, I don't know what they call them, the brick, which is kind of like a mini microcontroller. And you yeah. would ha- use a couple of the sensors. So it's like a, it's almost like a, um, like a control panel. And then that controls remotely the, uh, the other robot using Bluetooth. And so Colby got it all built. I mean, they started building it on this, this, on, on Friday's uh, session, and, but they ran out of time. So Colby finished it up yesterday morning and, he was trying to get it to work. He downloaded the programming programs from the um, the Mindstorm, uh, you know, development environment, but it wasn't working. And so, I I figured, you know, I, I was trying to trying to understand what the hell is going on because it has this. It uses this like I think it's called. It's called um, what's called, but it's based on Lab G, I think, which is like a graphical drag and drop programming. Yeah, uh, environment, and I was trying to understand it, but I just couldn't really figure out what the hell I was supposed to be doing. And so I went and I looked up on the web, you know, the equivalent NXC program, which is not, which stands for not exactly C. It sort of looks like kind of mm-hmm. half like C, kind of a C JavaScript hybrid. And mm-hmm. I found a couple of simpler programs. So it's like I can take a look, get like a couple twenty or thirty line. NXC programs and debug those much more easily. So we got as far as that. So I got a, I got a program I think we can hack or, or use as a base, maybe slim it down a little bit and just get get that working. Because so did you get the link going? You did. You didn't get. I, the link I haven't, we haven't got that far. We ran out of time. We were working on it yesterday morning, and then uh, you know we had Kobe had up having a, a basketball game. I think. What, so what, what kind of thing would happen? Like would would one robot mirror the other? Well, you can do whatever you want, right? I mean, it's it's sort of like the uh, you know your imagination is you're only limited by your imagination. If two robots can you can you know three or uh, I think you have up to four. You can have three slaves and one master. Oh, that's all cool. All communicating it over um, over Bluetooth, and so you, can, you know it's like you send, it's like socket connections or whatever, right? You send a receive message, you know, and so you could do all kind of cool things. I mean, I, I I've watched um I've watched episodes of uh, of um what's it called, uh, Through the Wormhole, which I've mentioned on the sh- show a couple of times. Yeah. Uh, which is a sort of a, a science show that's ho- hosted by Morgan Freeman that I highly recommend. And I think I've seen at least a couple of times where they've had these roboticists, you know, are, are using either a, uh, either like the Mindstorm robots or something very sim- similar. 
and, and exploring their cap- capabilities or what can happen when robots can communicate and interact and are distributed. And, you know, so you can do things like that with this, right? So um, that's interesting. So I, when you first said it, I was thinking about, oh, okay, you, you just get these robots to like all walk in unison or something like that. But I guess if you made each one act like its own independent agent, then they can, they can kind of do stuff together in a much more intelligent way. Yeah, I mean, you could problem solve. I mean, maybe maybe you could, you know, they're trying to to um, push a ball through a hole, you know, a hole, and, and, and depending on if they can see the ball or not, and they can knock it around or something, you know. Oh, that's awesome. I mean, that would be pretty pretty complicated, but I mean, you could you could do stuff like that. I mean, that would be really interesting. Um, I mean, that would be not the scale of like what an eight. Eight through ten year olds working on. That <laughs> right. almost sounds more like a like a, uh, a college <laughs> program, a, 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 you know, project that college students might work on or something. But um, so I, I got it. You know, I guess you were CC'd on this too. Uh, I got an email from. Um, I guess I think we both got emails. I said, "Hey guys, um, Stephen Meredy." Um, yeah. um, so he's been a, a, a listener long, uh, and he emailed me about a year ago about Catalyst um, when I was talking about it, and he. He is part works for a. Um, a, a, a I, I'm not sure if this is a full time job or it's just something he does um, on the uh, on the side as a as a volunteer. But he's a uh, instructor. Um, the NCSS the, challenge. Yeah, yeah. So it's it, it's it, it's at the University of uh, Sydney in Australia, and mm-hmm. uh, they've taught over ten thousand high school students. And shall I shall um, I read it out? So the, yeah, the ahead, NCSS, NCSS Challenge is a five-week online programming competition run by the University of Sydney, Australia, that teaches high, uh, high school students 12 to 18 years old how to program in Python 3. In the eight years the challenge has been running, we've taught over 10,000 high school students how to code. That's pretty cool. Uh, the competition costs $20, uh, that's Australian dollars, per student, which gets you notes, questions, and real help from real university tutors when you need it. So um, I wonder what the... It's basically grocklearning.com, which is kind of a cool name, grocklearning.com slash challenge. I'll find out more information about it there. Yeah, so I emailed him back. I, I, I thought it might be interesting to, to get him, even get him on the show, oh, talk cool. a little bit about it. Because he's, been, he's been teaching there for know, a couple of years, and uh, you know, I, might, I might have some really interesting things to say about how it works and what they've learned. And, yeah, well, you know. if he's trained 10,000 high school students... <laughs> Yeah, they've 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 probably he's got seen a few some, things. Uh, yeah, I've seen a few things. So, I he, he one thing he he offered was to open up the curriculum, you know, for for our kids, you know, mm-hmm. and so I might it, especially since it's gonna I think it's gonna do it's gonna run this summer. There's like a I can't tell, but it sounded like it went ran for a certain period of time, and so oh, it starts on the August August fifth, and so what I might do is just have you know. Colby, Marco, Liam, and Riley do that. Like that's what the curriculum will follow. That's probably a good idea. You know, I mean, because Sandy's been kind of uh, giving me a hard time about that. She's like, "Look, you know, you you need to work a little more on the curriculum. You know, you're kind of like winging it too much, and it's causing you a lot of stress." And she's like, "I think you know, she should maybe spend a little more time thinking what you thinking through what you want to accomplish over the next six months and come up with a plan." I mean, building curriculum is a full time job. I mean, as 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 I'm seeing here at Digitoo, <laughs> I mean, it like people you know work hard to do that stuff, and it's it's very it has a lot of breadth if you build a good curriculum, you know. Yeah, it is. It takes and so if they have a 
if they have a program, I mean, it's geared towards high school students, but they said they have a, a beginner, intermediate, and advanced track. And um, since these guys already know how to program in JavaScript, um, at least at a basic level, mm. they might be able to do the a high school level, a beginner high school level course. Yeah. You know, and at least it'd be worth a shot, you know. And, and see, one thing that we it really was a pain in the butt for us um, was through uh, with Catalyst was the technology. You know, it's like, you know, the first problem was we have all these kids with all these different types of computers and we're trying to get them to install different types of um, development environments on their system. Remember mm-hmm. how, what a headache that was? Oh, painful. Yeah. And then, and then what happened is I said, all right, well, let's, I'm just going to build the development browser, development environment into the browser. And that turned out to be just a gigantic um, development problem. I mean, I spent, I'd sucked a lot of time out of, out of my, uh, I don't know, schedule for months and it was still problematic. And, and, and not, not only because, you know, anytime you develop sophisticated software, there are going to be bugs. And if you run into a bug in the middle of a class, it turns into a real showstopper. But we just had so many problems with the, uh, with the limited internet activity that it just killed us, you know, and then we, then we brought in the local server and then that had issues for different reasons. But as I'm thinking that, you know, if I have them over here, we have my Wi-Fi, which is good. And there's only three or four of them, you know, and on average, there's three of them. So it, it, it'd be easy to set them up with the Python development environment on there. And, and, and you're working closer to one to one as opposed to like one or two of us working with 12 to 15 kids or something, mm-hmm. you know? So yeah. I think it might be, it might be worth, it might be worth trying. So we'll see how yeah. it goes, but great. I, you know, I, I, um, it could be ambitious. I mean, you know, high school level Python course. I mean, it just, you know, I mean, kids go through it. Even, you know, even if you have bright kids, it's like there's a certain developmental path that we follow and, and, and your capacity for abstract thinking really isn't developed until, you know, you hit a certain age. And I've heard that is like 13, 14 age range. That's why you usually don't learn algebra and stuff like that until you're, you know, in eighth or ninth grade. And if you're accelerated, you might learn it in seventh grade, you know, but, um, yeah. You know, so there's, there's a, there's a, you know, we'll see, we'll see what they can do. But, um, you know, I, it, related to that, I've been having Colby, um, do the, uh, the, the new version of Dragon Box. Did you hear me? Did I bring that up at the at a recent show? I, I can't remember actually, but, um, you were mentioning it uh, offline, but, uh, yeah, t- tell us about it. Okay. So Dragon Box is this iPhone app that sort of, tricks a kid into learning algebra. <laughs> I mean, it's very clever. Makes it fun. It's a, it's a fun game. It's not like, you know, it's not like a lot of these educational games, it's like flashcards or different things. And it doesn't do a very good job of disguising the fact that they're actually having to do the hard work of learning, <laughs> you know? And it, this is more like, you know, these little mental puzzle games, like a, a minesweeper or something, you know, you just kind of move stuff around and, and you know, rearrange things. And if you re- rearrange things in the right, you know, sequence then you get points my my sandy plays a game like this on her android constantly and uh and i'm looking at that i'm like you might as well just play dragon box you know i wonder how uh, how far you could take that concept you know the the concept of just making games that seem like you're not learning anything and and teach really difficult concepts i mean i think you could i think you could i've been thinking about this a lot for the past year ever since i saw well, I, I had been thinking about it even for years, but then when I saw Dragon Box and I just realized how, you know, they just showed how well it can be executed. 
you know, basically just in, fooling people into learning. Yeah, like you just, it, you know, just like there's a, there's an easy way to do things, and there are you know hard ways to do things, and there are excruciating ways to do things. You know, and sometimes it takes a while for people to figure out how to do things in a really easy way, and uh, or make make something that was hard relatively painless. And I think the um, the company, I think the name of the company is I Want to Know, and it's a Norwegian slash French company, I think. And uh, they've just really knocked it out of the park with this. And because one of the things that they do is they don't have a lot of descriptions. It's not like, okay, to get started in this, you have to read through this whole wall of text. Have you ever seen programming like games like that? I have, yeah. have to- and, and I've seen games that aren't like that. For example, Zelda, like the very first one on the Game Boy, where you just, you know, it, it, it's just you do stuff. Yeah, and, and that's the way. I mean, I think that's the mark of a really good, well thought out game is that they figure out how to get you involved in the game and having fun before you have to learn stuff. But then, and then what they do is they 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 give you little mini instructions along the way, but they parcel them out. So it's not like you have to mm-hmm. read a wall of text, right? Um, but it's the same. Uh, good apps are built that way as well. Yeah, good apps. Yeah, sure. And uh, but. Um, so looking at Dragon Box, I mean, there's so many aspects to it that they did well. They they made they made it kind of like you're not doing equations at first. You're just moving around these little icons, and then the the icons over time they sort of segue into looking more like you know uh, equations, and then they move back, and they move more like equations, and then they add in rules like here's a new power, which is like you know like a new uh, algebraic manipulation rule or something, you know, and so they, <laughs> and they have. You know, little sound effects and little mini animations, not over the top, but just enough to add, accentuate it, make it that much more satisfying. And then as you progress through a chapter, so a chapter, it's broken into a series of chapters, and each chapter is broken into a series of levels. And as you go and you unlock levels on a chapter, it, 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 a dragon starts to be revealed, right? And like the kids really get a kick out of that for some reason. <laughs> like, I, I, I always look at that, like, who cares? Like, to me, that would have seemed like oh, superfluous. Like, but Colby's like, oh, I want to see what the dragon looks like now. I'm like, really? Like, <laughs> it's just a picture of some dragon someone drew. But he he gets a kick out of it, right? And so, but you know, clearly they tapped in. Like, they probably somebody had intuition that, that the kids like that, and they tried it out, and the kids loved it, and they're like, yeah, this works. But it's sort of like a reverse puzzle. Oh yeah, right. So like, yeah, there the yeah, there it. Yeah, I think that's a good point. So you, you're asking about couldn't you do other things this way? I had been thinking about this for a while about the idea of like making um, a game where you learn electro electronics via yeah. Dragon Box. So like, you know, the very simplest one would be like complete the circuit. Here's a light bulb or a switch, and you just drag something over, right? And then okay, well this, you know, you, you know, have this much voltage coming in, and this um, here's a, a lamp or a, a, a you know ha, ha, can only use so much. Um, it, can, it, it only can absorb so much um, current, so then you have to put a resistor on there. What size of resistor? You know, add the resistor, and then what size resistors? And then doing them in series and parallel, and then adding a capacitor, and then um, okay, well, we need to have a you know, y- you know, like a wave. Uh, you know, you have to have amplifiers and oscillators. You like, you know, um, what they call um, I can't remember the term of, but you have certain arrangements of components have certain you know property. They act in a certain way. They have a certain use. And then you can kind of like complete them and manipulate them. And it's like, you know, you could learn, you could teach almost like electrical, first year electrical engineering that way through an app. 
Now, the problem is I don't know electrical engineering very well. You know, I mean, I just, I want, it's one of the things that I want to learn. I've been, you know, I've spent a little bit of time here and there reading about it and learning a little bit, but I just haven't had enough time to invest into really learning it. So, um, it sounds more for, like, sounds more like you wish there was a game that could help you learn it. I would, I, you know, I, I, I do. I wish there was somebody, but <laughs> I wouldn't mind trying to develop it. That would be a super fun project if I was like, but I'd have to like team up with somebody who was like an electrical engineer you know, had like a master's in electrical engineering, so they really understood it and could be like, okay, here's how you do it. And, and so, you know, the, the, the thing about, um, you know, these circuits is like you'd almost have to simulate them. You'd have to have a circuit simulator, and there are open source circuit simulators. Like a lot of these web-based circuit designers, remember uh, we interviewed um, uh, Zach um, from Upverter, Mm-hmm. And, uh, and, and they've used on their servers, they use these open source circuit simulators. So you design a circuit and it runs it through a simulation using, you know, mathematics to figure out, well, this is what, you know, the current voltage are and, you know, et cetera, et cetera. So you'd have to, what you'd need to do is you'd have to get one of those and hack into it and, and to get it to work on a, you know, an iPhone or something, which would be tricky, yeah. but you could probably do it. It'd be a lot of fun. That would be. But anyway, I think you could do stuff. I think you could do physics. I mean, I think you could probably do a lot of physics. I think you do a lot of math that way. I think you could do a lot of engineering. I think you could do like mechanical engineering that way. All right, I, I got a link for you. Mm-hmm. Um, this is my only, my one and only link, and it's not exactly very. <laughs> You're one. <laughs> it's not exactly very earth shattering. All right. Um, uh, first arrest captured on Google Glass points to a little brother future. Okay. So uh, someone was walking around San Francisco with their Google Glass. Well, actually, Jersey Shore it was. Jersey Shore Boardwalk and saw a, a scuffle happening and just uh-huh. kind of, you know, nodded their head to the left, which is basically turn on, record, <laughs> right. and then just record the whole thing. And no one had any idea that they were recording and then put it on YouTube and, uh, you know, got uh, kind of 20,000 views or whatever. So, uh, so... Did the people get arrested? Or did anyone yeah, get- yeah, they did. But, but, but not, not because of his video. I mean, his video was just basically fly-on-the-wall video about this incident happening. So that that's an interesting little brother future that we've got, you know. It's well, like, you, you know, it's okay. There's a couple of things about this. I mean, one, we we covered something. This is probably six months ago, where I think Apple filed a patent about how you could turn off uh, the ability for for these phones to record or, or whatever. So you could mm-hmm. so anything in vicinity could shut down. You know, mm-hmm. police or homeland security could say, you know, we have a free speech zone, and so there's nothing, no electronics can record. Right, so so they, so they have like a, a device that just jams it, a jammer. Yeah, yeah. So a lot of at least stuff at that level, they might be able to jam. Now, you know, if you're if there's some, you know, you're you're some guys committing a robbery, or there's you see some gang doing something that's illegal, or maybe you see some cop, you know, uh, abusing a suspect, you know, that kind of stuff. You can see, imagine you caught captured on that. In fact, you can get that, obviously you can, you know, you see that stuff get captured all the time with uh, smartphone cameras. But, um, you know, I, the other thing is, I, I just, I think Jason Calacanis just sent out this email. I don't know, do you listen to, do you, do you subscribe to his email? Uh, no, I, I did, I, I used to, but then I stopped. But, uh, really? how come? Well, how come? Well, he, I went through, you know, he's one of these guys who you kind of go through these phases, like when I first heard him, oh God, I thought it was awful. And then I, and then I thought, oh, no, I really like him. And then I subscribed to his stuff. And then there was like a period of two years, right? And then, and then it was just like too much. Oh, this, this is too much. So I, I thought I'd take a break. And I haven't gone to the back yet. <laughs> yeah, I think uh, Calacanis is one of the people. He has a strong, he has a strong personality. 
And He's heavy-handed. So, yeah, so it's like you're either in the mood for it or you're not. You right. know, I mean, he's. Uh, I have I have friends, not not just like him, but are the type where it's like you kind of have to be in the right kind of mood to be around them. You know, <laughs> you have to be like, okay, you know, <laughs> but I have the energy to deal with this person today. You know. Um, so anyway, so, t- so tell us about this email. Well, he sent an email about, you know, it was basically a screed about the Google Glass about how. The problem with is is that whenever you're sitting around talking to someone, you're you have to ask, "Are you recording me?" Like, is this like you don't want to say anything because you don't know yeah. if, you're, if you're being recorded or not. And, that does suck, yeah. You know, and it it, it you know because you you could. And, and, so, he, and some, he's going to be right in the middle of it, so he's actually going to be living that dilemma right now because everyone around him is going to be wearing Google Glass. Well, he said that he was at a he he hosts this like uh, uh, you know a, a poker night once a month or something. And so some of these, um, uh, I guess it's probably LA based, uh, entrepreneurs participate in it. And he said like three of them, three of the seven or something show up wearing Google class. Yeah. So the first thing he did is he collected them all, went and put them in a drawer in the kitchen. He's like, no, we're not. You know, Cause the last thing anyone wants to do is have a conversation with people wearing those around them. Yeah, but not just that. I mean, like you don't know what advantage wearing Google glass could bring to a poker game. <laughs> I mean, well, seriously, I, I mean, it's, a, guess, it's a computer that you're wearing. <laughs> yeah, I guess you probably, I mean, at some point someone could have, um, you know, card counting kind of stuff mm-hmm. if you were doing, especially if you're doing blackjack. But, um, but he, you know, it's just like if you're, if you're, if everybody's kind of, you know, sitting around playing poker, drinking, talking about a bunch of off the record personal stuff, you certainly don't want anyone to be even accidentally recording that stuff. Mm. Right, it really makes everybody on guard and makes things less uh, less relaxed. Right, and so he's talking a lot about that. And I think that's really true. I mean, I think I don't think people realize how frustrating that is. It's also like you know when you're 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 around people and they keep looking down at their smartphone and you're like, are you done or what? Are we talking here? You know, you're sitting at lunch with them and, and they're like looking at their phone. How irritating that is. Yeah, and it's and, but but I mean it's a it's prevalent in society. I mean, it's not just. It's not just a few people like most people do that. Yeah, but I mean, but it's, people, people are starting to learn that it is socially unacceptable to be spending much time looking at their phone mm-hmm. when they're at a lunch. I mean, you just, you know, if you're, if you're actually going to respect somebody, you're not going to be looking at your phone. You know, this is a, you know, yeah, something that's an emergency or something. You know? And I think a Google Glass thing will probably have to, they're going to have to go through this sort of period where people have to figure out like what's appropriate and what's not. You know, and the fact, and the, and, and the fact that, you know, you can never really tell whether people are recording or not, and they could, and it's just, I don't know. I, I have a feeling, I think he, he, Jason Calacanis has a point that that, that's going to be a real stumbling block for it to be socially accepted. Yeah. So, no, uh, I don't know. Yeah, no, I agree. I mean, I, if I was, if I was having lunch with you and you put them on, I'd be like, I don't take them off. I'm not going to eat lunch with you. <laughs> okay. You know? Well, uh, Texting this well, thing out here. Maybe not you, because you and I record everything anyway that we <laughs> practically. We Actually, you, pro- you probably would be really happy if I did it. Then we'd never lose any yeah. content. <laughs> All yeah. right. Okay, cut that. Put that on the show. That was a great <laughs> debate. Yeah. yeah. So that's, um, my, that's my one link. That was your one link. That's great. my one link. But I mean, okay. we got at least five minutes out of it. <laughs> Good. So, um, well, the, you know, one of the reasons I asked, or the main reason I asked to do our podcast a little earlier today, we, we initially were going to do it at three, and I 
actually do back, move it back an hour. And the reason is, so Colby and I are going to go see um, Man of Steel. Oh, Have you seen? Yeah. No, this is the new Superman, right? Yeah, yeah. So I, I, I'd see the reviews, and they seem like they were it got okay reviews, uh, and at least at least the critics. I think when it first came out, that was sort of the consensus. But I talked to um, my buddy uh, Garrett. Uh, he's he's the one who uh, he's played Ensign Kim on uh, Star Trek Voyager. Uh, yeah. I talked about him. So I, t- I we were talking the other day, and he's like, he's like, yeah, he's like, have you seen? He's like, you gotta go see Big Steel. It's awesome. He's like. He's like, it makes Star Trek look old fashioned, like the, no the sci-fi, the tech they have in it. He's like, yeah, it really should be considered. He's like, this Superman is like a sci-fi flick because so much of the technology on Krypton and stuff was just super advanced. And he's like, it just made just Star Trek look kind of, you know, old fashioned or something. And he's like, you know, and I'm a Star Trek lover. He's like, you're talking about Mr. Trek, right? I mean, you know, he, I mean, not only was he on the, one of the Star Trek shows, but he loves sci-fi and he loves Star Trek. And, but he's like, yeah, even come for me, he's like, trust me, you know, go see Man of Steel was cool. So um, you're going to see that? Yeah. So I, I've been, uh, I've been bribing Colby with, um, with, uh, with movies, um, cause I've been wanting him to get through the Dragon Box chapters. Yeah. And I, but every, I always used to like every two or three chapters, each chapter consists of like 20 levels and you can finish a level in like, you know, anywhere from like 30 seconds to a couple minutes. So, you know, it's not that big of a deal to get your level. But I say, all right, Colby, get through the next three levels this week and we'll go see, you know, Man of Steel on our, I think he wants to see uh, Pacific Rim or something. So, oh, nice. yeah, yeah. So the thing is, I want to see him anyway. So I just have to pretend that it's more for him than me. <laughs> But I'm like, dude, we're for the low, so we go see Man of Steel. <laughs> <laughs> <He's> like, All right. <laughs> see, that's the one benefit of having kids. You got little guinea pigs. <laughs> you get to run experiments on them. Like, well, he'll I work want- it out one day. <laughs> yeah, he one day he's like, I'm not playing anymore. Your game, mind games, Dad. Over your mind game. Look at your lab rats. <laughs> I'm sure that day is not far in the future. I probably got like four or five years, and then he's just gonna he's gonna be a lab rap you know freedom fighter that's funny <laughs> but, but the, um well see the thing was is that this new this new dragon box that came out is for 12 year olds and up it's called there's two versions of dragon box five plus and 12 plus mm-hmm. so 12 plus is really geared for high school students or advanced junior high you know being obviously 12 plus so and i'm like and i'm like well kobe's eight <laughs> like you know let's see if he can do it you know oh so he's doing the 12 plus one yeah, I was just curious. I wanted to see if he could do it. And sure enough, he's like cracked and throw it. You know, he's like, no, you're not having any kind of problems with it. That's so great. we'll see. I mean, I'm not sure how many levels or chapters are total, but it's getting a pretty advanced stuff. And he's still just, you know, whipping through these equations and, you know, doing all these pretty advanced uh, manipulations. So it's, uh, it's pretty cool. Um, but I tell you, bribery works. As I've said on the show, bribery works. <laughs> you know, uh, movies, ice cream. You know, they call me, we'll go get ice cream. We can get two more chapters on, you know, needless to say, I'm one who really wants to get the ice cream <laughs> or at least I want to get it as badly as he does. Um, but yeah, so I'm getting pretty, pretty excited about, uh, Man of Steel. So that starts in an hour. I guess we get okay. about what, like a half hour to finish off. But so, um, you haven't mentioned any links so far. Uh, I'm getting to it, getting to it. Why you need a link? You feel like you feel, would you feel yeah, better go for a link? Go for a link. Oh, well, uh, I'll segue into this. There's this t- thing called, there's a link, t- here's the title, Five, 5D Superman Memory Crystal Could Lead to Unlimited, oh, jeez, my screen's from blank, I was reading it out. 
Let's read it over. He goes, it's 5D Superman memory crystal could lead to unlimited lifetime data storage. And uh, so they were comparing it to kind of like these, I guess the crystals at um, at, uh, Superman's with his Fortress of Solitude or something. You know, the little crystals that have, you know, all these sort of the green ones. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. So in here, it's supposed to be able to store 360 terabytes on a single disk. Jeez. Yeah, 360 terabytes lasts a million years. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but have they built? Have, I mean, as, as they built these, well, they've just tested it. They've gone to the small scale, uh, scale lab test, but that's they're saying. You know, assuming the engineering come, all comes together, that that's what could happen. And it's stable up to a thousand degrees Celsius. Whoa. So you burn your house down, it blows up in a uh, you know Michael Hastings style car crash. It's still <laughs> How do you survive. write to it then? How do you write to it? I mean, what, like I don't. I think it uses some some high speed lasers, but they were uh, obviously what, going over a thousand degrees Celsius. I guess so. Yeah. So so that's your suit. How do you like that for segue? The Superman memory. I like it. Like that. Was I like that it a lot. And what and what is it? I mean, you said disc. I mean, does it look like a disc or does it look like a crystal? They didn't have a picture. They they described it as a crystal. So I don't know. I don't know what. I mean, it, it would be so cool if it just looked like one of those crystals in the Superman <laughs> movie. Superman crystal, <laughs> like three-dimensional. It may. Who knows? I mean, yeah. you know, there's been so many advances in uh, material science lately. It seems like, I, you know, every couple of days there's some kind of new graphene-based, um, uh, you know, substance that, you know, allows massive connectivity and super low, super fast battery charging, super fast, you know, or super long uh, battery capacity and you know or you know stuff that would allow heat minimum heat so that you'd have these um these super quiet and uh, super powerful you know uh, computer processors uh, I, I don't know i mean it's like I think, I think the first depiction i saw of something like that in a movie was um a david david bowie was in this movie called the man who fell to earth and basically he was an alien who fell to earth and he brought new technology and this was like made in the 60s or the 70s. And the technology that he brought was um, to put albums on the ball bearing. So basically, he had, he, he, somehow he had recorded music on this ball bearing, kind of little round thing. And he mm-hmm. just put it, into, put it into this player. And essentially, it was like an MP3 player. Oh, that's cool. Yeah. Yeah. So they've been, they, they've, I, don't, I have no idea how they could have envisioned that, you know. Well, yeah, you know, in fact, it's funny you bring that up because I I, uh, I saw this, uh, read this article on, uh, I don't know this article, it's just sort of a link to this site. It was called like uh, future, Futuristic uh, User Interfaces or User Interface Technology or something mm-hmm. called FUPs or something. And, and it was showing a collection, like you could go to this site and there will have pictures of all of the cool user interfaces they showed in Prometheus or Oblivion or Iron Man 3 or, you know, Man of Steel or whatever. And it'll, it'll you know, so you can look at, see like, what, what are these, these movie makers and these special effects people, how are they imagining these super futuristic user interfaces or technologies to look and, and, and how they work? That's cool. I mean, I hope you put a link to that in the show notes. Yeah, I'll put it through. I mean, um, it, it's, it's kind of funny because like, it's, in a lot of cases, it's almost like if you can imagine it, you you could probably engineer it. You know, like yeah. Although the, I mean, some of the, I mean, I guess the holog- hologram stuff. 
you know, like remember Prometheus, they would show these three dimensional holographic um, uh, images of the uh, of like the caves. Remember they were running around the caves and they and they put those three D scanner those balls which go floating down mm-hmm. them, the, the you know throughout the labyrinth of caves. Yeah, so I, mean, I don't know. I mean, basically, where does I, I guess where it ends is just complete mind integration, mental integration where. You have you have an entire environment beamed directly inside your brain. Yeah. Well, speaking of that, you know, I um, there is a, a really interesting video um, of, and actually, there, I got a link to the paper too. Um, it's called My, the the, the the I think the video was like Mind Over Mechanics, and what, what they did is they created a, an EEG cap. So they created, you know, the, you know, you put those little EEG sensors mm, on yeah. someone's head. You can read, you can see like their alpha waves and beta waves or whatever. You know, the, the different types of uh, mental activity that's going on that's measurable. So they put, they they created a cap so they could measure. You know, they put a lot of these little EEG sensors all throughout the over the guy's head, and he was able to, with his mind, control a flying drone. Interesting. Like he would he would think about. He all you had to do is think about making a fist with his right hand, and it would turn. It would like turn left. Well, wasn't that turn um, with the right left, or or or, or, or think about uh, making a fist with both hands, and it would and it would go up. That's interesting. I mean, I, we, didn't we see something before like that where basically it was something related to people images, like like they they mapped brain waves to images that people had looked at, and then yeah, yeah. Huh? Yeah, and and yeah. then through thinking, they could kind of say what picture they were thinking of. Yeah, in fact, um, that's right. And and I, it was just it was just on like the a recent episode of Through the Wormhole where they were where they had they were devoted to called brain hacking, and mm-hmm. they were talking about how you know I can't remember, did I talk about this last week or not? No, no. Sure. Okay, so I know we talked about this probably a year ago, but yeah, they have they have these programs. They have like a brain. They have a, 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 a two-way dictionary that would map images to images. So I could, I, I could basically put something in your head, and I could, say, I could, I could, um, based on what other people, what, what sort of brain, how people's brains lit up when they saw certain things, I could say, oh, well, just it looks like Justin's thinking of a uh, of a chair, or he's thinking of a car. I'm going to have to start watching this through the wormhole thing. You keep on talking about it, and I haven't started watching it yet, so. I'm telling you, it is really well done. I mean, Morgan Freeman is. What channel can you get it on? Can you get it on Amazon? It's on the Discovery Channel, so you could probably just watch them on the Discovery Channel's website. You might be able to get them on. Um, I mean, they you know they play um, uh, old episodes on on Discovery Channel, so you could probably just set up your DVR to record them, or you could try to get them from Netflix or something. Oh, but I see. Yeah. Really yeah, they are on. Um, yeah, it's it's available on Amazon. Um, yep, and you can watch it on Amazon. Yeah, but uh, you yeah. need to pay for it. Yeah, well, I mean, it's it's worth it though. What you pay like a couple dollars an episode. Yeah, or something. yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, it's this fantastic. And and if you you know if you like science, but um, <laughs> you don't like science, probably not so much. <laughs> so you know, I was thinking about projects to do and I, I looked at because I, I showed Colby this video and he's like yeah that's cool and then I, I go I wonder how hard it would be to build an EEG and so I went to a, a, a site called Instructables have you ever seen the site, the site Instructables? No so in Instructables.com you know, people will put up like little tutorials on how to build certain things 
Okay? Yeah. And there was an, there's an instructable on how to build uh, an EEG cap, like so that you know you you could buy you could buy, buy buy the sensors and then you can like here's here are the electrical components and just build your own board and 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 it'll actually and then you can plug it into your computer and you can you know see the brain waves and I'm like if we could do that we could actually run that same experiment I'm like cool what do you think about that and he's like yeah like, <laughs> that's okay. awesome. See, that's that's why I want to learn electronics because you you know electronics you can do, you can sort of all the stuff that we do on the computer you can start interfacing with the real world you know you can do stuff like that and um, yeah so speaking of cool videos I um, there was a there's a couple more that I saw this week that were just uh, unbelievable there was the the one with, that showed um, the uh, what's it the the, get the link what the title was it was um, was SpaceX's um, uh, rocket their grasshopper rocket it went oh, up to right, like, yeah. Yeah, it went up to 325 meters and hesitated and then went all the way down. The previous um, best was 180 meters hmm. and it lands perfectly and it's completely automated. Like it, was, like, it cool. wasn't like something like with a joystick. I mean, it was self correcting and everything. So I should have well, told you that for a sec. Did you see the thing um, on Hacker News um, that was Elon Musk was kind of referenced, but it's about the, the high speed transit system that it's going to go goes 4,000 miles an hour? Yeah, and he said he, it was an evacuated tube, one of those um, one of those things that use the, I forget what they're called, but like they used to send like mail around um, buildings, you know, yeah, 50, yeah. I forget what those things are called, but it was like a, you'd use air pressure or something. Right, and, and the, um, what, what's interesting is it basically, <coughs> to build, for example, to build one between San Francisco and um, Los Angeles would take half the price of building a freeway, it would cost half the price of building a freeway. And you, right. you'd you'd get from San Francisco, you'd get from LA to San Francisco in nine minutes. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. That's pretty cool. Yeah. Yeah. So, well, Elon Musk said that that his his uh, idea, which he calls a hyperloop, is not uh, this evacuated tube or whatever. So it's not that. Um. So I don't know what he's, but he said that he's gonna he said he's gonna try and publish something. Um. Sometime in the next, I think, month or two, and he's going to open source it. He's going to try and patent it or anything like that. Just put it out there. So we'll see what it is. How cool would it be to be able to go to uh, San Francisco in ten minutes? That'd be awesome. I mean, <laughs> or, or you know, New York, New York in thirty minutes or an hour or something. Yeah, that would definitely make that would change if you can do that, and especially if you could have a lot of people doing that. It would it would sort of it would sort of change. It would change things, just like being able to fly. Yeah. Jets change things, or the rails change things. I think if you're back and forth in the East Coast in half an hour, you're back and forth in other cities in 20 minutes. I mean, where people live really um, becomes a lot less important. I mean, I the mean, question is could, though, it's like, go on. I was going to say you you could commute between America and England. Yeah, probably could. <laughs> <laughs> That'd be like the commute that certain people have now when they live out way out in the outer suburbs, the exurbs, and they have to to buy a cheap house, like so you know, because housing's cheaper usually further out you get from the city, and they have those like hour drives each way. That the kind thing of I was stuff. wondering about it was if presumably there's going to be connection points where you where you switch from one route to another route. Like how how would that even work? You know where. You're, you're, because the way the way that they're describing it is, it would be like a six man car that was kind of shot down this tube at four thousand uh, miles an hour. Like how how would it an intersection work, for example? Well, I don't know. Maybe it, 
uh, yeah, I don't know how that would work. You know what I'm saying? But, you know, like, the, yeah. But you know what the big, the big problem with it is that, you know, if you still had that kind of TSA effect where you have to go through this big security check, that would end yeah. up eat up eat up most your time. Well, but right? you wouldn't it's, really need I've, TSA. If I, if I've, why not? I mean, you, you know, they, they you, you figure they would probably, you know, all you take is, you know, they, yeah, you, you think, I mean, TSA just, you know, the Homeland Security just keeps like, getting bigger and expanding. So, I mean, I guess if you blew up one of the, I mean, if you blew up, if you went with a, a bomb, right, and it was one of these pipes under the ocean, it would cause a lot of hassle. I mean, all it takes is one terrorist attack, and and then all of a sudden from then on out, you have all these heavy-duty security restrictions on things. So, I mean, that would, that would be the killer. If, like, you can get to 10 minutes to San Francisco, but I still have to go through a half-hour security check either way, I'd be asked for it. It's too much of a pain in the butt, you know? Well, maybe I mean, you could travel on it, but without luggage. I mean, yeah, I mean, already my trip to San Francisco, the actual flying there is much less time than it is me driving to the airport, parking, you know, getting the ticket issued, and then checking for security and boarding the plane. That eats up, you know, the vast majority of the time. You know, I mean, you figure, I'm trying to think, it's probably like, Trying to think. So if when when I go to San Francisco and I catch a 10 p.m. flight, I might leave at like, and I get to be there at nine, which means I leave at 8:30. So it's an hour and a half, you know, of preparation, and then you know, disembarking and everything. So for an hour flight, so it's probably like two hour, two and a half hours for an hour flight. That sucks. It's like a fixed, it's like a fixed cost almost, you know. Yeah. So that's the only thing it would. Uh, uh, kill that. So anyway, I want to talk to you a couple more of these cool like technology things that I that I yeah, saw. Yeah. So one was the the Navy successfully landed a drone uh, on an aircraft carrier. It was completely automated. I saw that, and you sent you sent an email to Gabriel. Oh, Gabe Mays. Because so when we were at um, at Microconf and we went out to dinner on the last night with uh, Gabe and Karina um, said. Uh, Corey is his wife. Oh, Corey. Yeah, and, and, you know, and, and uh, you know, and there was a few other um, people there as well. But so anyway, I, I, you know, we went to this. It was like an episode of the podcast. We were going to talk about all kind of crazy technologies, and I, and I said to Corey, I said, you know, by the way, Corey, you're probably among the last generation of fighter pilots. <laughs> She's like, what are you talking about? Because 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 Corey flies uh, F-18s for the Marine Corps. And she's like, "What?" And I'm like, "Yeah, I said, you know, you know, we have these, uh, you know, self-driving cars, and they're and they're they're experimenting a lot with, you know, these sort of drones and stuff." And I said, "You know, another, it's not going to be that many more years before it's just going to be way cheaper to have automated, or or mostly automated uh, fighter aircraft than as opposed to having to fly to train uh, pilots." And also the political cost. So if you're if we're flying these, you know, jets over some. Uh, other country and it gets shot down and you know all of a sudden there's a huge political backlash about like what are we why are we have you know planes or what are we doing over in Syria or Libya or whatever and you know there's all this pushback from the public which is the Pentagon doesn't want that kind of pushback and if they just have a drone goes down there's no political cost to it right mm-hmm. probably barely would barely be mentioned in the news you know so anyway they successfully landed and it, it wasn't like one of these little you know those little predator drones that they they look they look kind of like well, they don't look like real aircraft, you know, they're kind of like, they're much smaller. Well, this thing looked almost like a jet, except it just didn't have like a cockpit. 
that look like yeah, I'm looking at it now. They they look very very cool. That's a that's a, a cool looking tech. X forty seven B. I think it's is it, it is is it yeah X thirty is it a forty seven or thirty seven B? An X forty seven B Navy drone approaches the dock as it lands aboard the nuclear aircraft carrier. Yeah, yeah. And it reminded me of this movie. I can't remember. It was Gregory Hines and Chevy Chase? And I can't remember. But they're like arms dealers, <laughs> and it's, they're at this big. Oh God! Oh, Deal of the Century is what it's called. That's right, Deal of the Century. It's really funny. It's a seventies movie, but it's really funny. And um, so they're at this uh, convention, this defense co- defense industry convention, and uh, Gregory Hines, like he he decides like he's had enough of this you know bullshit world and he he like basically steals one of these new cutting edge um jet fighter jets this thing exhibited and takes off and then one of the other contract companies sends one of their drone their fully automated drones to chase after him and it looked just like this thing hmm. it's funny look at it like it was just amazing it's like wait a minute i've seen that thing before i saw that in like 1978 but, <laughs> but don't those drones have a weakness which is i mean that presumably they're controlled remotely right uh, this this drone. I mean, they had people there to watch it, but it was it was it was fully automated, just like a Google self driving car. It wasn't it was it wasn't like a drone. Uh, like the predators are, are remotely remote control, like a video game. Yeah, but it's automated know, by it's automated through satellite uh, links, and it it basically runs off different links. Uh, and I would have thought that the, the Achilles heel of these things is that if someone could find a way to jam the signals between the drone and no, any no, of its no. a- anchor points. Yeah, I mean, once it's on a you know a mission to do something, it's just it, it doesn't necessarily have to continuously use. Uh, I mean, I mean, probably use some GPS type of information probably to find out its location. But it's um, it's it doesn't depend. It's not being controlled by a computer somewhere else. It has its own computer on board that's trying to figure out where it's going to go and what it's going to do. Jeez, you see what I mean? That's, that's so kind they, of scary. So you so you send it on a mission to like go and kill some people and then. Halfway through, you decide, okay, abort, abort, but the, the signal's lost, and it just goes on the mission anyway. Yeah, yeah. I mean, you know, I, if you're, you know, anything can be hacked at some point, right? Yeah. You know, um, and you figure something like this, you know, could be hacked, right? I mean, yeah, I, sent out a, I actually sent a tweet about it. My tweet was, uh, goodbye, Top Gun, hello, Skynet. <laughs> <laughs> That's, yeah, I think that's kind of where the, you know this is uh, that's ultimately headed. You know, I mean, that's the danger of it. I mean, you know, there's the chance that you could have an artificial intelligence that takes over. You know, wants to eliminate humanity. That's even if that did happen, <laughs> that's probably like hundreds of years in the future, not like ten years in the future. But um, it, yeah, when you have a bunch of uh, weapons that are sort of automated, computerized, you know, there's always a risk that they just even out of error or miscalculation, they just bomb the wrong things. You know, not not that drone, not that drones themselves or humans don't bomb the wrong things. That happens all the time. Hey, I've, I haven't been keeping track. What's the deal with um, Edward Snowden? Where are we at with that now? We are. He is so he's still tra- sort of trapped in an airport in uh, or in a you know some part of the airport in uh, in Russia and outside of Moscow. I mean, I think there's. I think he has a place to stay. I don't think he's like sleeping on a bench there or something. Do you think that was part of the strategy to basically snuff out the fire by leaving him there for a really long period of time, and then people would just kind of lose interest? Who's strategy? You think that's the U.S. strategy? Yeah, yeah. No, the U.S. is the the the, the you know the administration's um, 
strategy is, I believe, I mean, they have like three or four strategies, not any ones. You know, they're like, their primary thing is they revoked his travel, his, his, his passport, and they're pressuring every single country that comes into contact with them to, to turn him over. It's like turn him over else. I mean, they've already been, they've been they threatened China, Hong Kong, they've been threatening, you know, Russia. And, uh, and they, you know, when the, what's the guy who's the, um, the president of Bolivia? Like he was flying from Moscow and they downed the, it was a France and Portugal and Italy all refused to let him go, his plane fly over the airspace because the U.S. thought that Snowden might be on the plane. So that's completely, uh, like under, under international international and, and, and treaties and stuff. You can't do that. You can't like down, especially this guy's a head of state. That is ridiculous. So, and that just shows, I mean, that just throws us, I mean, that all of these countries are going to bend to America's will, right? So if, if the U.S. comes out and says, look, don't let this plane do that, I mean, they, they do what they're told. Italy, mm-hmm. I mean, all the European countries are going to do what they're told if the U.S. wants something badly enough because it's just, the U.S. is just too powerful and uh, in different ways. Not that they're afraid of being, you know, that, you know, the U.S. would attack them, but the U.S. might—they've got—they've got them by the short and curlies somewhere or another, right? Somewhere or another. I mean, you know, financially, yeah. you know, or or whatever. There's just a million ways that country, bigger countries can pressure on smaller countries. But so he's um he's stuck there for the time being. Um, but you know, it's interesting. Um, Greenwald, uh, Glenn Greenwald, he uh, from the Guardian, he he basically said, look, you know, the U.S. should probably be praying that nothing happens to him because he set up a, you know, the equivalent of a dead man switch, which is that if anything happens to him, he's suicided or killed or, uh, or renditioned or whatever. Um, you know, all these documents are going to go out that would harm that he said would do more damage in, in, in one instant than has ever been done to the U S before. It's nuts because all the documents that he's given to the, to the newspapers and stuff, he's been very careful about it. He said, look, you know, I don't want to do anything that's going to harm, that's going to cause any harm, but we just, uh, you know, what we wanted this is, is people need to be, people need to be aware of what's going on. This right. stuff is all being done behind the scenes and all of this, you know, first and, um, first and fourth amendment rights are being completely abused. And this huge, massive, un- illegal, unconstitutional surveillance state that's not only limited to the U S but, you know, all these other countries are involved and have their own, you know, Britain is, you know, with the GQ, whatever it's called. Uh, uh, France has its own one. Yeah, France is big and, you know, Australia. And, and they all have and they're all kind of cooperating and trading information back. And he's like, this is really, it's a lot worse than anyone thinks. And he's like, so he's saying, look, I, you know, that information is going to come out in a irresponsible res- res- way through the newspapers because they're vetting everything and being careful. They don't name names and do anything that would cause specific harm. But, you know, if anything happens to Snowden. I but I thought Glenn, Glenn Greenwell was going to say more interesting stuff, you know, over the, the coming months. But nothing else seems to have been released. A lot of stuff, a lot of little things keep coming out. Um, you know, like, um, I mean, I can, stuff comes out every day, which is basically like, you know, Windows, Microsoft, like all, they basically gave backdoors and everything to Outlook and to um, Hotmail and Skype and all this kind of stuff. And I mean, it's just, you know, like they just constantly, it's a continual drip. I and mean, basically everything has been compromised and hacked and given back. And NSA is just, I mean, I think what you can say is for all intents and purposes, everything. The NSA has access to everything. 
you know, and if they don't have access, they can get access if they want to, right? So like maybe they don't collect the content and everything. They just collect uh, the content on the people they're most interested in. They collect metadata and everything else. But as soon as they decide, hey, you know what? Justin has been talking to this guy and this guy's been talking to this other guy. And, uh, you know, he's part of these, you know, 100,000 people that are going to be swept up in this thing and everything is going. And they're going to and go back, you know, and they can go back in history because everything has been stored or yeah. whatever. So I think for all intents and purposes, it's, it's everything. You know, I think, and, and, and everything is hacked and everything is compromised. So, you know, I think that's, that's the lesson. And the other lesson that's come out is that the, uh, the FISA court is, is, is a ridiculous rubber stamp kangaroo court. I mean, they, the chief justice, um, has appointed all of the, uh, Supreme court. I mean, all of the FISA justice, justices and, and 10 of the 11 are all Republicans. And anytime you have, Something that's any all, all one party, you're gonna have, you know, they tend to behave much more in a much more extreme fashion. And yeah. like 99.8% of the requests that went in in front of FISA courts were approved. And I think there was like, there was like one that was denied or something like that. It was like mm-hmm. 40 that were initially done, they, they needed more information, they came back, made adjustment, and those went through, and there was one that was denied. That's it. Everything else have like seventeen hundred or something, seventeen hundred and eighty nine requests, and they only hear. So you have a judge, a FISA judge, gets an argument from the government. So someone from the government, from the NSA, comes and says, "Hey, you know, judge, we want to do this X, Y, and Z reasons because we need this data because we think, blah blah blah." Well, there's nobody on the other side representing, uh, you know, civil rights or the Constitution or the people who says, "Whoa, whoa, 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 whoa," that's completely illegal or unconstitutional. There's nobody arguing. And that's, that's how, you know, Western style justice, um, is supposed to work. You're supposed to have adversarial, um, courtrooms. And people didn't really realize that they kept, people were saying, well, you know, even if we don't know everything, it's like, these are, you know, everything's done. Everything's like legitimate and those are responsible people. It's like, but you know, you set everything up to be a, you know, fundamentally, um, un, uh, unbalanced. So that's right, basically well, what's come out. Yeah. So, um, well, thanks for that. Uh, sure. We've got about, <laughs> got about uh, five minutes left. Yeah. Um, let me see what else. Oh, you know, one thing I, I, I didn't get to say, there's one more video that was that I, um, it was the, this company um, uh, called Boston Dynamics has created this robot that's like six foot two, 330 pounds, and it can walk in, around and, and, and it, it looks like a Cylon. <laughs> Have you seen that? No, I haven't. Yeah, I mean, it looks like people are calling it like DARPA's Terminator because it's a DARPA project, but it looked kind of like you know, kind of like an early prototype of like a Cylon from Battlestar Galactic or something like that. Very cool. And you're like, I'm thinking about this, going, yeah, but we learned that that's probably not a good idea to create like Cylon. I mean, that's what Battlestar Galactica was all about. Like, you need to think hard about doing these. I mean, if you want to build robots, make them like R two D two and see the repo. <laughs> You know? Well, I just searched for. I just did a Google for Boston Dynamics, and second um, link number two goes to guns.com. Meet Atlas, Boston Dynamics' terrifyingly enormous humanoid robot. Yeah, that's the one. <laughs> exactly. I mean, it's great. I mean, I showed Colby, and he he was, uh, you know, and I showed the other cat, kids from Catalyst, and they were all impressed, and you know how fun it would be to work on a robot like that. Like I, I showed Colby, like we showed the, the three or four guys at the laboratory working on the robot, and Colby's like, "Oh, that'd be so awesome!" Right. 
And you can see that that's one of the things that we do as humans. Like we see, we build the technology because it seems fun and interesting. But you, in some ways, you got to be a little bit careful about what kind of technology you build. I mean, I don't know. I mean, it's just the. Uh, I mean, I'm kind of being half joking about the Cylon thing. You know, I'm not totally serious about it. But well, I mean, the, but they're the guys who built the Alpha Dog, which is is definitely used by the Ministry of Defense, right? That Alpha Dog thing for carrying packs. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, you know that the. the the military usually they sponsors a lot of a lot of this type of research and development, and a lot of stuff initially gets put towards like, well, you know, disabled people can use this, or it can be rescue missions and stuff. But you know, if stuff like if stuff can be used to military advantage, it will. You know, I mean, oh it, it's like you know whether it's automated flying jets or you know Cylon like Terminator robots. I mean, you know, it won't be like next year. It might be twenty or thirty years before you would see you know these robots walking around some battlefield and you should also check out peat man met by by boston dynamics on guns.com that is that is scary oh what is, oh, it now. i think that was on the earlier versions it's just walking around or is that the four legged? it one? just looks it's like so it's like a, a soldier dressed up in a suit walking along on a on a conveyor belt it's freaking terrifying yeah yeah i could, yeah. I could just send you an email i'll email you that to put in the show notes as well yeah oh it's you know, one thing uh, one, uh, I just want to get to a couple really quick links here. Um, so there's this Oklahoma hospital is has been posting surgery prices online. Oh yeah, yeah, that was cool. See that? So here are a couple of the highlights of it. So they said that their their prices are one sixth to one eighth the price of most hospitals for the same the same procedures. Yeah, and they say they don't accept Medicare since federal ma- Medicare legislation re- regulation won't allow online price menus, which is weird. That is crazy, that, but. That's because that's probably some kind of legislation that was put through by various lobbyists. Like that has no benefit to. But it's interesting because now that they've put that out there and those cheaper prices, then all of a sudden the free market's going to start taking over. Well, that's the hope, right? I mean, that's how you get prices down. When you don't, yeah. you don't have um, a free market and you don't have an open market, then then price, it's just you know things just get rigged and prices just go up, and you know you have like you know. When when the government's paying the bill, it's like you know that's that's like why so so many military things are so incredibly expensive because they just do a cost plus um, contracts and uh, you know it's just ridiculous. And but I mean, how can they legally do that? I mean, are they allowed to do that? Yeah, they said as long as it's not Medicare, sure. Why why why, why would you? Why shouldn't you be able to do that? Well, then how could they? Like, why hasn't someone done that before? Kind of thing. I mean, it well, because seems it's like not, it's because in most cases it's self interest, right? Like if they. You know, uh, they they don't want a price war. People, people, our our companies don't want uh, to get in a price competition with anyone else, right? Mm. You just come and you just pay it. I'm your local hospital, and uh, this is what we charge, and we're going to charge your insurance this, and you'll have to pay the X, and that's just what it is. It's going to be very interesting to see what happens, like how it pans out. Yeah, yeah, and uh, they just said that they one one thing they do is they they're like one of these. uh, like a, it's not a hospital. It's like a surgery center, I think, as opposed to a real hospital. So, in the, in those cases, it can work really well. Those are like outpatient things, like oh, you know, I have to have knee surgery to get my ACL fixed, or I have to have this you know, arthroscopic surgery or something. It's like it's not like oh, you got in a car wreck and they're bringing you in on a on a um, you know uh, you know from on a stretcher, and then you know, who knows how much stuff's going to cost, right? It's like yeah. you're going to be in the hospital for weeks or months and, you know, but it's like, oh, I'm going to go in and I'm going to get a knee replacement and I know, and this is going to cost me $3,500, right? Because yeah. that's fairly predictable. Um, yeah. that's, so that's really interesting. I thought that was really good news. Um, 
let's see. I want to see if there's anything else I wanted to talk about that. Oh, um, <laughs> yes. Yeah, I have a couple little things real quick. Uh, PHP is on a comeback. It is. Yeah. There was a thing of talking. There's a, a pixeltech.net. I'll, I'll put it the link there. Um, they rank like the popularity of all these different programming languages and stuff. And uh, PHP went from seventh most popular to fifth. Is that probably because of Laravel, was it? I don't know. You know, they're using Laravel at, um, at Pivot, which is that company I've been advising. And, uh, you know, I pushed hard for Laravel. Um, they initially wanted to use another framework they'd heard about. And, I, and after looking at Laravel and after hearing what you and Udi had to say, I convinced them. And, and it's, it's paying off. I mean, the, the code is really nice. I mean, yeah. it's, it's a really slick framework. And, um, yeah, I think Laravel is going to – I think what will happen is Laravel is going to become – Pretty close. Maybe it won't become the Rails of PHP, but it'll become the Django of PHP, yeah. right? I mean, there there'll be other frameworks that people use, but it's uh, it's it's like learned all the lessons from the other frameworks. It's just clean and tight, and you know, it works great. It's beautiful. Mm-hmm. Um, oh, you know, one thing I found which is really cool little um, program is called Boom. It's a volume booster for the mm-hmm. Mac. So I have this. Um, we have, we have this, uh, this portable, um, air conditioner unit in my, um, my home office. And oh yeah, that's it, working now, is it? Yeah. Cause I, 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 I we, we, our central air blew up <laughs> like two years ago and it's going to cost like 10 or $12,000 to replace or more. And so we've been holding off on that because we really need air conditioning for like two or three months of the yeah. year and just kind of try and suffer through it. And one of the ways we suffer through it is we have a couple of these portable air conditioning units about the size of like a big R2D2. <laughs> Right. And, um, it makes, it's kind of loud. Um, so when I'm talking, when I'm trying to listen to a podcast or something, I, even if I have all the, the volume completely turned up, it's still hard to hear. And I just do a search to see if there was something that would solve that. And just this little tiny program and it just goes up and like the, in, you know, right next to where the other volume control is and you can just push it all the way up and it like probably triples the sound if you want. That's great. Which is really cool. It's like great if it doesn't blow your speakers. Well, I don't. Yeah, I don't see that really happen. But it's uh, it's really slick. So I highly recommend it if you if you're in a loud environment and you need to feel like you want to boost that sound past what you think what your system would normally do. That's good. It'll, it'll do it. Let's see if I have anything else. I'm just about to run out the door. <laughs> um, I think I'll leave it at that because um, yeah, All I'm right. gonna get going. Go see uh, Man of Steel and, and everything and. Uh, yeah, we can uh, have fun go. at the movies. Oh, Say and, hi to Colby for me. Thanks. Oh, and other thing too is I, I think we might do a couple of uh, I might there's some people I want to interview over the next month or two, so we might okay. get some more interviews going. Is uh, um, I, I invited um, uh, the guy who did Neo Cities. Remember you remember seeing that? It was like a, yeah, yeah. So I interview I I think his name is Kyle. He's 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 down to do an interview. I just um oh, oh great to decide on that. So I think this, um, not next week, but uh, th- or not this coming week, because I'm going to be in San Francisco, but the week after we'll interview um, him. And so we can hear about that whole NeoCities, which is kind of like the new version of GeoCities, but way better, um, which looked pretty cool. And um, yeah, there's a couple of, a couple of other people I've, I think it'd be fun to talk to. So maybe get, get a few interviews slotted in. Sweet. Sound good? You up for yeah. that? Yeah. Yep, totally. <laughs> All right. I'll record it. You just turn up and I'll record it. You got it. All right, that's a wrap. We're out.